Hello, ladies. Welcome to the Hourly to Exit podcast. I'm your host, Erin Austin. My goal with every episode is to share information and resources to help you achieve the next level of growth in your expertise-based business. We all know generating income from our expertise is pretty easy. The challenge is in scaling and building a business that can run without you. Join me here every week to make sure you are building an asset that can be used to fund your goals and your legacy. Before we get started though, one little disclaimer, because I'm a lawyer. The information I share on the podcast is general in nature and is provided for information purposes only. It is not to be relied upon nor construed as providing legal advice or legal opinions about any specific issue or set of facts. Now, here we go. All right. Welcome, ladies, to the first episode of the Hourly to Exit podcast. I am so honored to have with me today Jacqueline Malone, who also happens to be my business coach, and I'm so happy to have you with me. Thank you so much, Jacqueline. Oh, I'm so honored to be here. Thanks for having me. Jacqueline is such an impressive woman. I want to give you a little taste of her biography here. Uh, Jacqueline Malone is the founder of GoToGal Media, business coach for entrepreneurs, and host of the GoToGal podcast. GoToGal has been named one of the Forbes Top 21 podcast for 2021 and is a Top 200 marketing podcast on iTunes. Jacqueline works with experts around the globe to help them become the go-to authority in their space. Her approach combines business strategy with mindset practices to help her clients bust through their blocks and exponentially grow their business. She has been featured in Forbes, Entrepreneur, Yahoo Finance, Reader's Digest, Parents, and has spoken at marketing conferences around the U.S. Jacqueline has proudly built the go-to empire in her slippers. I love that from her home in Rochester, New York, where she lives with her husband and two children and a fur baby, which I confirm loves to be on camera. <laughs> so. He's more like a fur old man these days, but he's always my baby. <laughs> yes, like seeing her kind of swaddle him and definitely her fur baby. So once again, thank you again for being here with me, Jacqueline. So today we're gonna talk about mindset. And uh, but before we get started, I just wanted to like touch on, you know, both of our businesses are focused on women and it certainly is. I don't want to say it's a trend because there's always been women who focus on women, but we're, we hear a lot more about it, I think, recently. And there are very real differences between the way women think about business and the way men think about business. And so I'd love to hear about you know, how you decided to go kind of into female entrepreneur focus, although I know you have go-to guys as well. You're not just go-to gals, but I know you have some guys too, but focusing mostly on female entrepreneurs, like how you came to that and how that's affected your business. Ooh, I love this question. And it, it does seem like a trend now. And I wonder if if it's because people who had a similar situation than I did. So before I started GoToGal, I was working in commercial real estate, which is 
very predominantly male industry. And most of the people in that industry were not only men, but significantly older than me. I helped my dad start the business back in 2004, went and did marketing for several different entrepreneurs for a few years. And then I ended up back helping him with the business and doing real estate before I started this business. And I really, when I saw the close personal connections that my dad had and my cousin too, who worked with us, who is a man, and they would go on these golf things and sure women could come, but it wasn't really right. Like they weren't really invited. I didn't golf. So I was never like feeling left out, but I realized I could never have the close personal connection and the way that they were with other people in the industry. And, and that was something that bugged me a little bit. And it wasn't that I wanted to be part of that circle, but I didn't see other people like me in the industry that I could be building the close relationships with that could help me in business the way that I saw it helping them. And listen, my dad is my number one fan and he has done everything his entire life to, to help me in whatever way he could. Right. So I had a ton of advantages in this industry and and I had a lot of success in the industry too. So it wasn't like that was the case. But when I started my own business, I just, one, I wanted to be able to connect with women in that way. I want also realized that I was in a local community group called Rochester Women's Network. And I saw how things were different in a space that was just women and how women felt more comfortable opening up or sharing or conversations that weren't happening when I was in these other rooms that were mostly men or sometimes I was the only woman in the room. I also had some situations where even at events with my dad and cousin there, I had situations with men being very inappropriate with me and making me feel uncomfortable and advances and from a very young age, because I started in this industry while I was still in college, mm-hmm. um, up until, you know, when I came back, I was late 20s. And so I also, I think there was a form of just, you know what, if I create a business that is for women, then I don't have to worry about being in those awkward situations or those scary situations where, you know, I, I may have felt more, more vulnerable if I was in a different situation. So a lot of different reasons, mm-hmm. but I wonder, you know, I, I know I'm not alone in those feelings. And so I wonder if some of those bad experiences or that left out or feeling unwelcome or or just feeling uncomfortable has led more women to create businesses that are almost like a, a protective shell, if you will. Yes, yes. I agree completely. I also kind of came up, uh, you know, as a lawyer and I have been a lawyer for 30 years, so it has changed quite a bit in that time. But it was not at all unusual for me to be the only woman in a room. There is kind of that shared language of gender, <laughs> for lack of a better term, that um, sometimes you are excluded from. And so when I thought about transitioning from a very traditional kind of legal practice to uh, one that is more consultative and thinking about who I would want to work with, it very, you know, very naturally came to want to work with women. One, I think it's an underserved demographic, especially in the exit planning space. Not that there aren't female exit planners, but a lot of the conversation around exits are about, you know, these gigantic multiples and, you know, and the bro culture. And there are a lot of things that are associated that are almost negative about kind of planning for an exit that's almost kind of predatory that you're just building it just to sell it as opposed to building it for the love of it 
And so I wanted to like, you know, have those types of conversations that I think that we could have, you know, among women. So that's, yeah, very similar, very similar experience. Hey everyone, a quick word from our sponsor, Think Beyond IP. Think Beyond IP helps your professional services firm build the essential legal and strategic foundation required to confidently scale your business by developing, protecting, and leveraging intellectual property assets. You can find us at thinkbeyondip.com. Now, back to the show. So let's talk about mindset then. And so I'm going to stick with a male-female dynamic here for just a second. Is, you know, I feel like we hear about women's mindset issues a lot more than we hear about men's. Why do you think that is? I don't think men are as comfortable talking about it. I, You know, it's interesting. So... I have significantly more experience working with women with mindset than I do with men. However, I have been in masterminds with women and men, right? Where we're talking about these things. And, and I have some friends in the industry too, who are men who, because I talk about things, right? They'll say, Oh, I was listening to this episode of yours and, and bring up something. And, and then in my personal life too, having these conversations, what I realized is I think a lot of the mindset struggles are actually very similar between men and women. I think different personality types, whether you're a man or a woman, right, are going to kind of help us see which type of mindset things are going to come up and struggle with the most. But the way that we respond or show that type of of mindset struggle, the way it shows up for us and how we react to it can look very different between men and women. But I, I think that a lot of it is just having the you know, cultures and so culturally here, especially in the United States, growing up, men were told not to show emotion and and so they were shoving that down or it comes out as, as anger <laughs> and then anger is very much an emotion. <laughs> oh, right. And so I think it's starting to realize, okay, whoever you are, if you're a man or you're a woman or you're non-binary, however, realizing what it is, what are your telltale signs that something's going on emotionally? Cause we all have different ways of whether we're avoiding something, right? Or whether we're feeling resentful or angry or or we're feeling shame and guilt that it, we're going to have these emotions come up, but that's not the key of what's really going on underneath. And so I think it's starting to explore, okay, what are those things that are showing up that are our indicators of uh, something's, something's going on here, right? Where we can see, okay, what what's under the surface with the mindset. Well, I do want to talk about like what kind of what those categories of issues are, how you see them. And I will, you know, confess that, uh, you know, I work with Jacqueline. She is my coach. And I never thought of myself as having mindset issues, honestly. Um, you know, I'm a lawyer. I feel pretty confident. I, you know, have had my own business. I've had tough conversations, had to negotiate, you know, fees with clients, had to, you know, do kind of the, the have those difficult conversations. 
And I feel like what I do is valuable and that, you know, I don't kind of, I'm not afraid of. And, uh, but then, you know, I wish I could remember what those things have been where, where you were just like, yeah, you know, (laughs) either I wasn't doing something or, you know, and that there was some resistance, which I kind of thought was just, well, you know, I got all this stuff going on. You're like, no, there's something else going on here and being able. So even once you feel relatively confident in our abilities and in our ability to negotiate, I mean, I'm a lawyer after all, like still like there's stuff under there. So yeah. How does it present itself? when you- It presents itself in so many ways. <laughs> oh my goodness. All the ways. Right. And, and it does, it can be sneaky. It can, there are going to be people that are like, yes, I'm struggling with mindset and they're really aware of that. But there's also going to be times where self-sabotage is a big thing that is mindset related, but that doesn't always show up as being mindset related, right? So for me personally, one of my favorite ways to to self-sabotage is my brain when I, let's say I'm in the middle of a launch and I really need to be focused on something. My brain is like, oh what about this other new idea? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> what about, and, and so it's masked as creativity, right? And it took me a while to realize this because it's not showing up as, oh, I can't do this launch or no one's going to buy from me. It's showing up as what happens. You start a launch, you feel vulnerable, right? You're outside of your comfort zone. But for me, it wasn't this feeling of oh, what if I don't hit my goal? It was Ooh, what about this other thing? And that was my brain's way of protecting itself from being vulnerable in the launch because it is vulnerable putting something out there and not knowing what the outcome is going to be, especially in such a visible way. And so my brain was like, well, we don't have to think about that if we could think about this other more exciting thing. And that distraction was self-sabotage because it would distract me from focusing on the thing I would need to be successful with it. And so that is, I would say when it comes to the self-sabotage, which is something that we all experience, there's really three different categories. So I have a quiz about this, but I want, I'll break it down because I think it's really interesting. So, and the quiz has a fun twist to it. It's which movie villain is sabotaging your success? <laughs> oh, and because Listen, one of the best ways to get yourself to snap out of something is a little bit of humor, right? Like, yes. and so let's, let's have some fun with it. And so why not use some movie villains to, to distract us? And so the, the example I was giving, the avoiding of, of the thing, the avoiding is the tool, if you will, for self-sabotage, that is, that's Ursula. That's the, Ursula is in there from A Little Mermaid, but she's, basically taking you away, taking your voice away, taking that, right. And taking that, like distracting you, pulling you into the cave, if you will, or whatnot. Oh, right. But it's setting you up for that. You're not necessarily hearing those, those thoughts of, of doubt, and you're not necessarily even feeling the emotions. So it tends to be avoiding the emotion. And so whether that's creativity or eating popcorn or, <laughs> or just not doing the task, right. and like lots of procrastinating, right? It can show up in those ways. And you may not realize in those moments that it is mindset. But when you start to 
to dig a little deeper and understand, oh, that's why I do that, right? Then that knowledge is power to be able to help you realize, okay, well, how can I stop that behavior? So the other two examples of this, the core feelings would be of, of anger. And so with that, for the villain, it's Miranda, Miranda Priestley from Devil Wears Prada. But it's that <laughs> the voice in your head is like, you're never working hard enough. It's never good enough. It's never perfect. And and with that, the way that Miranda sabotages you is, is your intuition. And so typically people that, that would have Miranda as their inner villain voice would be really intuitive and, and they're able to trust their gut on things. But when Miranda is showing up, she's going to, to mask that intuition. So the gut feeling is, is off. And so it's whether that is anger that you're going to, or whether it is let's say like impulsively firing a client or your gut is like, let's say your team was supposed to do something. They didn't do it right. And it's like, well, no one could do it better than me. I have to stay up all night and do it. And so it's taking you out of that, what you know to be what's best and, and masking that and, and just this like workhorse type of (laughs) type of inner villain. That's nothing's ever good enough. So that would be how, how that type would self-sabotage themselves. And then the other type is, so with that inner villain, it is uh, Regina George from Mean Girls. So like I say, we like to have fun with this. She is the classic mean girl. And so Regina sabotages your feelings. And so it's really you're your feeling guilt and shame and, and she's coming in and you're comparing yourself to other people or you're thinking you're not good enough. And, you know, your your heart and how you connect with people is that's like the most powerful thing for those types. And, and when Regina is there and showing up, she's, she's distorting that, right? So instead of your emotions being powerful and being the emotionally intelligent people that, that they are, that's when the emotion takes over and, and it can just be a lot of overwhelming self-doubt, which I don't think I explained with the Ursula type, but that type is more of a like thinking strategy, like that is more of, of their power, uh, superpower, if you will. And that's what, what Ursula is masking because it's, it's the thoughts that are, that are taking them, whether they're creative thoughts or I should do something different thoughts or whatever that is, it's the thoughts that are distorted. So whether you, I guess with all the three types, it's either your thoughts that are being distorted, your intuition that's being distorted or, or your feelings, your emotions that are being distorted. Oh, okay. Well, I think I'm an Ursula. <laughs> and, but it brings up an interesting question, especially when you mask mindset issues with faux creativity. How do you know when it really is like a better idea? <laughs> or is it a mindset issue? It's so true. And, and we're all, we all have a little bit of all of these, right? And, but I find that it's understanding your primary type is important because the same mindset advice does not work for everyone. And so that's why with, with that quiz, it's like, okay, let's figure out what your type is and then we can come up with the best solution for it. So navigating that I think comes back to a couple different things. One is, okay, well, even if so you're saying of, okay, well, what if I just have an inspired idea, right? So here's the thing. This is where 
being able to be confident in the direction you're going with things, right, is going to allow you to, to navigate that. Because yeah, what happens now, I, does that still, of course it still happens to me. That's how my brain is wired. I can't stop my brain from coming up with the ideas. It's gonna happen every single time. Now what I do is I acknowledge it, I, I write it down. Sometimes I'll even voxer a friend about it or something. So I have a, you know, a, a voice message. I have a recording of, I capture it, right? Because it is a lot of times, I tell you, a lot of times really amazing ideas come out of those situations, right? Because it's like this pressure cooker in your brain of having to focus. And, and through that, you get some really, yeah, I get really great creative ideas that come from that. But that doesn't mean that I should abandon it. Going back to the launch example, that doesn't mean I should abandon the launch in the middle of it with that new idea, right? That's letting Ursula win. So acknowledging the idea, acknowledging the shiny object and the dingle hopper for all my little mermaid fans out there. And, uh, <laughs> but then for me, ideas and creativity inspire me to keep going. Right. And so what I, what I tend to do in that situation when it happens during a launch or something like that, where I need to be really on focus is, okay, how can I get myself back engaged with the launch? And if my only focus is how many sales are coming through, well then, yeah, that's going to be an emotional roller coaster, right? But if I can focus on my own activities, especially if I'm able to tap into different things I can do creatively or to feel inspired or, or even just take care of myself during it of like, okay, like I'm going to, you know, go get a massage one of the days or get a pedicure or lunch with a girlfriend. Right. So being able to focus my energy during it on what I'm doing, what I'm in control of, that allows, allows me to reward myself for the actions instead of, having my, my emotions be tied to how things went for the launch that day. Um, specifically speaking with an online launch, which is probably a very different business model than most of the people listening, but not every day is going to be the same with it, right? So some days there's going to be a lot of sales. Some days there's going to be no sales. There tends to not be any sales for several days in the middle of a launch, right? And so that's setting yourself up for that, like, you know, no emails are coming in, no sales are coming in mentality, where if you're able to focus your energy on something else, for me, that's that's what tends to work. So I think with, with these different things, it's just about getting curious, right? I know they, they say curiosity killed the cat, but I feel like curiosity is just the key to to understanding without judgment, to, to giving us the ability to become observers instead of putting on the judgment of, oh, I always, I always do this, right? Or like, oh, I'm procrastinating again. Or, oh, I'm, you know, I, I blew up at this, this person on my team or like, um, you know, here I am like feeling sorry for myself or stuck in comparison. I always do this and beating ourselves up about it. It allows you to one of the reasons why I personify uh, these these inner villains, as I like to say, that they're not you. It's not you doing that. It's this other character, and it's this fictional kind of fun character, right? Is because 
one, it brings it, it's a little bit light, you know, and it also allows us to step into the observer mode where we're not judging ourselves. We're not blaming ourselves, but we're able to acknowledge what's going on and, and then hopefully be able to use our more logical side of our brain to get through it and, and to start to see how we can support ourselves. Because listen, before I started this business. Well, I, when I first started the business, I hired a coach and I remember saying to her, and it reminds me of what you were saying a little bit, but I remember saying to her, like, I swear I'm normally such a confident person. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. I'm, like, I, I'm like, I don't know. But, and I felt so, I felt so vulnerable. I like, I felt so much imposter syndrome with starting my business. And I think that's because I was so outside of my comfort zone and that would just, my brain was like freaking out of like, whoa, what's this? And I look back and I'm like, geez, I, I've done a lot of things and I normally feel really comfortable in certain situations, but I was comfortable in those situations and this was something new. And so now I've reframed it. And now if I don't feel that imposter syndrome at all, if I don't feel that, you know, if I don't see any of these signs creeping up, for me, that's a sign that I'm probably a little bit too cozy. Yeah, I'm probably not, probably not pushing yeah. myself, right? <laughs> Well, that, you know, kind of brings me around to something that I wanted to, to cover as well, which is, you know, on the other side of mindset, and if we aren't able to kind of push through it, uh, the other side of that is regret and, and like how, you know, thinking about, you know, if I don't do this, then what, what will the what ifs be if I don't do it? And so I was listening, re-listening to what I think is now an evergreen episode for you about mindset where you uh, talk about, you know, not being a victim to the woulda, coulda, shouldas, which is, the, you know, kind of the ultimate regret. And, uh, and listening to that episode coincided with me reading Daniel Pink's new book about the power of regret. And it really, um, you know, made me think about like how, even though it is a negative emotion and it is the second most, um, common emotion that we have as humans, second only to love. Uh, regret is our second most uh, common emotion. And that we think of it as a negative, but how you can also use it proactively as a way to help you kind of push through these things. You know, like if you aren't a little bit afraid, are you thinking big enough? And if you are taking bold steps, requires you know, us to think about the what ifs. And hopefully when we think about them in terms of being on the other side of it, that we'll be happy that we have made those uh, bold steps. So, you know, since that mindset episode has become, you know, kind of a very popular one and evergreen one, tell me about why you think that one has resonated so much with your audience and like how kind of now that it is kind of evergreen, like how you've continued to use it to work with your, with your audience. Yes. So now I'm like, okay, wait, which exact episode was it? But I know, but I know the content and I think that the big underlying thing here, and I'm so glad you brought up the like mindset doesn't always look like mindset, right? It, it, it shows up in different ways. And with that, it's, I think it's the same thing with regret. I, I listened to a little bit of a, of a podcast episode with Daniel Pink talking about this and what, what stuck out to me is that he was like, you know, 
everyone's like, oh, like I have no regrets or no regrets and, and kind of putting this idea of having no regrets on a pedestal. And he's like, that's just not the reality. Even if you say it, it's not, doesn't make it true. And that likely people, one, maybe you're just not thinking about, I think, I think he gave some examples of like, if anyone who doesn't have regrets, it's they're either like a small child or a psychopath or they have like brain damage. Right. And so at the less extreme though, you may not be conscious, like actively thinking about your regrets, but that doesn't mean that they're not there. And so being, it's almost like there's this sometimes a fear of like, well, I don't want to go there. And I was such an emotional shover for a long time where it was like, oh, just, I didn't want to feel the feelings. And so I very unconsciously, but would shove them down and just not address them. And I think that the same thing can happen with regret. If maybe we're not spending every day mulling over that you regretted something, but that doesn't mean that that emotion isn't in your body. It doesn't mean that you're not feeling it or that there's certain things that would happen that would bring that up. And so I think a big part of this is just not being afraid to feel, right? And and not being afraid to acknowledge that you might have regretted something. And I haven't read his book, so I don't know where he's totally going with this, but being able to look back and say, you know what, I regretted that I didn't do that, but using that as an ability to say, okay, I'm going to change how I do it in the future. Absolutely. Yeah, he talks about it as a motivator. Absolutely. And uh, I mean, he talks about a couple of things. One is, which is something I never heard of, which are obituary parties, <laughs> where people kind of write their own obituaries and say, like, what do I wish I had accomplished? And like, what do I want my obituary to say? And basically, it was because of Alfred Nobel, who Nobel Prizes, where the, they erroneously ran his obituary while he was still alive. It was his brother who died. I think his brother was Frederick. But what the obituary said was this guy was the king of death, you know, because he created the dynamite. That's where his fortune came from. And his whole obituary was about death and destruction. And he's like, I do not want this to be how I'm remembered. And so that was why he, when he died, he left the endowment that now funds the Nobel Prizes. And uh, so the ability to kind of proactively say, like, I would really regret if at the end of my life, this is yeah. what my life looked like. And, uh, and so also as a way of, you know, when we think about our businesses and pushing through those mindset issues and taking those bold moves, like, what would you regret more, trying and failing or having never tried at all? And yeah. So, yeah. That's such a good example though. And I think, you know, I've heard it from the other angle of, oh, think about when you're, you know, in your eighties and sitting in a rocking chair, you know, what do you, where do you want to be in life? And, you know, what do you want those big memories to be in and whatnot? But I think this idea of this and the tangible obituary, which is kind of I don't know, slightly morbid to think about, but also, you know, it helps you figure out what those, what your real intentions are. And I think that's probably another way of saying what I was saying before when you were like, okay, well, how do you, how do you know if it's this or that? It's knowing what is your goal? What are your intentions? What is that main focus? And how can you stay on that path on a small scale showing up for the launch, but on a big scale, what are those things that matter most to you? And not letting those self-sabotaging behaviors or these other mindset things that come up get in the way. And, and that's, I think, when you are clear on that intention, 
on a big scale and a small scale, it's easier to stay with that and not get derailed, right? And, and there's there's so many different directions to go with this. Part of what I like to work with women about is like identifying the legacy that they want to leave. And that's another way of looking at, you know, in order to have impact, you have to take some chances and you have to take some bold actions. And, uh, and those are the kinds of things that will kind of create these mindset issues that we need to push through. And uh, yeah, and so that would be kind of keeping your eye on the prize when you know this is who I want to be, I, this is the legacy I want to leave. Um, it makes, when you, when you have that clear in your head, that makes kind of decisions easier almost, right? I mean, it doesn't yeah. mean it's without risk, but it just seems clear. It know? does, it mm -hmm. does. And I think a big thing that I've found with becoming the go-to gal, becoming the go-to authority in your space with building a business, with showing up as a leader is stepping into that identity. And so taking it to the next level too of not just, okay, what's the legacy you want to leave, right? But once you know that, once you have that clarity, how do you become the person who leaves that legacy? What does that look like on a daily basis, a monthly basis, right? And, and helping you come back to that. One of the things, and, and this kind of concept can be applied to so many things in terms of how we're looking at things. So for me, a big thing that I found was I keep talking about not wanting to get out of my comfort zone or being stuck in my comfort zone, right? And I'm like, geez, maybe calling it a comfort zone isn't the best idea. And so that brought on like, okay, what if I reframed it as something else? And so I would, well, what started is like, okay, well, to get out of my comfort zone, where am I trying to go? Right? So I'm like, okay, this is my growth zone. When I'm getting out of it, it's my growth zone. Well, what's the opposite of growing? It's interesting because we stay stuck in the, in the growth zone, but the opposite of growth isn't standing still. I mean, to, to take it to the obituary point, the opposite, <laughs> the opposite of growing is dying. Uh -huh. uh, but that's tend a little dramatic for me. So I, I called it the shrinking zone. Oh, but I, like what I that. found is that there was this illusion of if I stay in my comfort zone, I'm staying stuck. I'm saying put, I'm staying where I am. That actually isn't true because if you stay in that comfort zone, you're not standing still, you're shrinking and, and you're going in the opposite direction. And that was a big motivator for me to realize of like, okay, no, there's, there's no such thing as standing still. There's no such thing as this even plane. So if I'm not actively in growth mode, I'm in shrinking mode. And when I looked at that as, okay, that's my litmus test of, if I don't have that, that little butterflies in my belly, <laughs> oh, if I can go a whole week without feeling like that at all, what am I really doing? What am I really focusing on? And framing it in that context was, was a really good navigator to realize the importance of it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've heard that in other ways as well. I wish I could remember who it was. It was either Jonathan Stark or or uh, Blair Enns and David C. Baker, one of the two, one of the two. But they uh, said like, if you, the comfort zone has now become the danger zone. Ooh. Like if you're just hanging out in the middle and not, don't have a point of view, you're not taking a stand, you're not kind of don't have a position, like you're just lost. And that's like, you're gonna, you're just like on a race to the bottom. And that taking some risk and taking a stand is now kind of required in order to kind of succeed and, and, uh, and find, you know, break out of the noise because there's just so much noise right now with so many channels for information. And uh, yeah, and so um, kind of just 
standing still is, you know, you will be left behind. <laughs> like you, you have to, yeah. You yeah. Have to, to do. There's, there's an old quote that was recently in a Super Bowl commercial, but I don't know. I don't remember which commercial it was for or who said the quote, but it's, it's a famous quote. I don't even know if it's attributed to one person, but uh, fortune favors the brave. Uh, yes. And, and I, I think that's just such a great, when we're thinking about these things, so much of it is what, what's the language that we're using to describe different situations and thinking about, okay, I know fortune favors the brave. So if I'm going to get uncomfortable, right, the more chances I'm going to be brave and you can't be brave without taking courageous action, without getting vulnerable, right? Like literally you have to be in some form of fear and taking action to be brave. Like that's, that's not the exact definition, but it's basically the definition of bravery. Right. And so in order to be, to be stepping into that bravery, you have to be in those places and that's, what's going to bring the fortune, uh, the good fortune, the luck or, or, you know, that happenstance, the serendipitous opportunities and, and all of that. So I think when we think, I don't know, thinking about, okay, well, what's the, what are the actions that you want to take that you're afraid you might regret? Or what are you afraid of? A lot of times it's the people don't want, you know, fear of rejection or the, what are they going to, they're going to say no, or they're going to think I look dumb or I'm not ready yet. It's not perfect yet. And when we can reframe those outcomes, kind of like I was talking about with my launch where I was like, okay, well, what if I shift my focus from the results to my actions? I have more control of that, right? We can do that in those other situations too. So if it's a fear of no, what if we celebrated the no's? What if it was like, see how many no's I can get this month, right? And, and we weren't holding ourselves to this standard of, oh, I'm trying to like, I'm only allowed to celebrate the yeses and, and feeling like, oh, I don't want to reach out because I'm not sure if I'm going to get the yes. But what if it was a game of like, well, let me reach out and let's see if I can get 10 no's. Well, in order to get 10 no's, you're going to get yeses, right? Oh, and so I find that being able to gamify it a bit like that for ourselves allows our brains to get on board a little bit easier and be supportive for us through this instead of just that constant battle of, of resistance. Yeah. Yeah. Just to, to revisit Daniel Pink, you know, he did a survey both first at, in the U S and I think 4,000 plus people and then worldwide. And it, his survey showed that people have twice as many regrets about inaction than they do regrets about action. And so, you know, those regrets of inaction, you have, you know, you have that perceived missed opportunity that you, you know, it lasts longer, the regret is deeper, you know, the, the lost opportunity is something that you kind of feel and there's no undoing that. Whereas you can kind of undo something that you've done, you know, apologize or fix it or whatever, but there's no like fixing, you know, lost opportunities. And, uh, and so, yeah, taking advantage of opportunities and, uh, and making sure that, you know, when you have a goal in mind, that then you have that confidence to kind of take those steps and that clarity to take the steps that you need to get to the next spot. So, yeah. yeah. This is making me me think of something that applies to this. I don't know if it's exactly the way that, that in Daniel's book, he would talk about it, but I think it's important for us to talk about in this context too, because sometimes regret can be a misframing of events. 
let's say I wanted to start a business for so long. I helped my dad start his business in 2004. And then I worked for all these different entrepreneurs. And I say I was a wantrepreneur for like a solid decade. <laughs> I had ideas. I made logos. I didn't really get much further past that. But there was, there was a lot of ideas and dreaming in this stage, right? Now, I could look back and I could see in hindsight and say, oh, you know, I had... I had this going on. I had this opportunity. And I could tell myself a story of regret about things that I didn't do during that decade that might have set me up in a better or different way or path now, right? Or I can look through the lens of, wow, helping my dad start his business gave me this incredible insight on how and how he does things and how he quickly scaled and what we were able to do together and working for these other entrepreneurs gave me all this experience and and prepared me for where I am now right and so i can tell this story in a bunch of different ways and and we have that choice right there's no there's there's not two sides to every story there's like a million sides to every story and we can choose especially with our own stories we can choose how we want to frame them to ourselves, how we want to think about them. And sure, there are going to be certain things that are like legit regret, right? But I think there may be other things that there's like, like, could we look at it a different way? What if that was the thing that helped you get here now? Or what if that didn't happen and you didn't do that, then this other thing wouldn't have happened. And being able to kind of tell our own stories in ways that encourage and support us rather than bring us down and bring back to that that shame and guilt and fear and stress and all of that too. So I think, one, I'm really excited to go read his book and learn more about his perspective here. But I think this whole concept of just like not being afraid to dig in and where you find these stories of regret, using them as motivation, but also like does it have to be regret, right? Like, could we look at it a different way? Is that, does he get on that? You summed up very well exactly where he's going with it. Because again, he's, he's using, even though it's considered a negative emotion, his whole premise is that we learn so much from these things. Yeah. And so regret isn't a dirty word in that way. So we don't need to say it's not a regret if we learn something from it. And one of those, like exactly what you mentioned, like, um, it would, he would call it your at least like, okay, I didn't do that, but at least I got this type of experience from it, you know, or, you know, maybe in a personal realm that wasn't the right partner, but at least I have these beautiful children. And so always looking at kind of also the upside. So you, one, you don't kind of beat yourself up over it because you made the best decision you could at the time. And you also take what's good from it. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, if, if I'm giving it the impression that the, the book is a downer, no, that's... it's not because it really is about, okay, like we all have them. And regret is a uniquely human thing, right? You know, like who else kind of sits around and ruminates about what a shoulda, coulda us? Like, like there isn't any, <laughs> any other, you know, being in, in the known universe that does that. So regret is part of our lives, but how do we use it productively is really um, what, what I what you should get out of the book. So, yes. yeah. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad we're in alignment. Yes, there. you are in alignment. You are in alignment. Oh, and my number one strength is positivity. So according <laughs> to strength true. finders. So I guess I'm not surprised that, of course, my, my brain would think like that. I'm okay, well, how did this, how could this work for us instead of against? Well, Jacqueline, this has been an amazing conversation. 
But so as you know, like one of my missions is to help build an economy that works for everyone. And one of the ways that I do it is by working with uh, women to help uh, get more wealth in the hands of women because I think they do wonderful things with their wealth. And so, uh, uh, you know, there's more than one way to contribute to building an economy that we that works for everyone. One can be working directly in the uh, nonprofit space, but also it can also be supporting entities that do. So I am wondering if there are any, you know, organizations that have inspired you and that uh, help support some of the causes that you like in the world, to see in the world. Yes. I, so what first comes to mind for me is the Loveland Foundation or the Loveland Therapy Fund. So I am a big proponent. I am new to therapy in the last few years. And I grew up in a culture where therapy was like, oh, like you need therapy. (laughs) (laughs) It was very much like a, ooh, you know, or like she's going to therapy, like, (laughs) like, like whispered in corners. I wasn't brought up with it. I had never been to therapy before. And I started going in the beginning of the pandemic. I was really struggling uh, with a bunch of different things. And it made such a profound impact on my life and was really powerful. And what I realized, though, is how many people don't have access to therapy. And so, one, my viewpoint on therapy has changed significantly of like, oh, wow, like, no, this is something that, you know, is – mental health is health. And, and I've known that for a while, but I hadn't specifically had the personal experience of working with therapists. And so it's something I feel really passionately about that in order to be our best selves, we need to be able to, to feel our best. And sometimes that does mean therapy, even if you haven't had traumatic events and realizing how limited access can be, especially to certain groups. And so what I love about uh, the Loveland Therapy Fund is that they're able to fund therapy access for people who would normally not be able to afford it. And a big focus of theirs is on black women and girls. And they really just want to get the support to communities that normally wouldn't be able to, to access it. And I love what they're doing I think if we can't feel our best or work through certain situations just because certain things have happened to us, right, or certain regrets or just experiences that we had no control over, right, how can we get through that without the support in order to do the next things, right? All the resources and tools can't help through that. So I love that they have the focus on therapy. And, and I think that's such a key piece in, in, in helping those women in need. Oh, I love that. And in particular, you know, focusing on women. I mean, we do know that certainly the pandemic has hit women particularly hard. You know, we still bear the brunt of the work at home as well as that at work at home as well as in our jobs. And uh, a lot of us, you know, had kids that were home with us. Um, during, uh, you know, I have a 15 year old who was home with me for a year and a half and, uh, and it has been a pretty tough time. And obviously the people that we've lost during the pandemic as well. And so I love that. Thank you for, for that. And we'll certainly put that in the show notes along with, I believe you have an offer that you'd like to talk about as well. 
Well, I did mention the quiz earlier. So if you if you think you know which inner villain you have or if you want to find out and validate, oh, you can take that quiz for free. And after you take the quiz, it'll tell you which inner villain you have. And then I also follow up with an action plan specific to that inner villain because we don't fight all villains the same. And so, so even if you think you have a good idea, it's still worthwhile taking it to get that free action plan. And you can take it at JacquelineMalone.com forward slash quiz. And that's the, which inner villain is, which movie villain is sabotaging your success? Fantastic. Well, thank you again, Jacqueline. This has been amazing. And I truly appreciate you spending some time with us. Oh, I appreciate you having me on. It's been great talking with you. And I just, I love this insightful conversation. It's so important to be getting out there. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks for listening. Do not forget to check out the show notes for links to connect with today's guest and for the resources, offers, and organizations that we discussed. You can also find the links at hourlytoexit.com backslash podcast. If you got value from this episode, please subscribe. And I'd be so grateful for a review. I'm here to support your journey.